through downtown, through Greater Cleveland on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. Yes, indeed, and hour number two is underway at 7 minutes past 10 o'clock. We are going to forego our traditional Ronald Reagan Open at the top of the hour so that we have just a few more minutes with our guests because we've got something very important to talk about here. The snowflake generation has graduated. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the snowflake generation that Dr. Everett Piper addressed in his first national best-selling book, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. He, this was born of a letter that he wrote to his students at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, which he was the president of at that time. And, uh, this is a daycare, not a, un- or this is not a daycare, rather, this is a university, uh, just became a national viral sensation. It's what transformed into the book. And now it has led to the sequel to the book. And joining us now to discuss this is our good friend, Dr. Everett Piper, best-selling author, past president of Oklahoma Wesley, and contributing columnist for the Washington Times radio host, as well as, um, again, the author of the new book. And Dr. Piper, it is so good to have you here, uh, as we do each and every Thursday. I feel privileged. You're doing all of these interviews now about your new book, um, which, you know, which is entitled Grow Up, by the way. Um, you, you are doing all of these interviews all across the country with people who haven't talked to you before. We talk on a regular basis, so I feel like this is kind of a privilege to get the inside scoop from you. So thank you so much for being here with us each and every week, not just today. Well, a privilege is mine, Bob, and I mean that seriously. Uh, you have no reason to bring me on every week. Other than maybe you want to break for a half hour and let somebody else talk. But I'm grateful to be a routine guest on your show, and I'm grateful that you've uh, offered to talk about my new book today. So thank you. Well- well, yeah, our listeners love you. I mean, really, I get feedback all the time. They love hearing from me. That's the reason I bring you on every week, and that's the reason I think you're going to have a ton of people in the Northeast Ohio region of the country that are going to be buying Grow Up uh, because they really do want to hear what you have to say. Let's talk about this now. From Not a Daycare, the Devastating Consequences of Abandoning, abandoning Truth to Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. Tell me the connection. Tell me in what way is this a sequel, Dr. Piper? Well, you explained it well. Uh, Not a daycare was my effort to um, alert the reader, alert the nation, that we're teaching bad ideas in our colleges and universities and in our elementary schools and our secondary schools. The The educational system of the United States of America is broken, and it has been for decades. We have been teaching narcissism and self absorption self-actualization, and we've put the focus on me and mine. We've put the focus on blame rather than the Beatitudes. We've put the focus on looking outward and blaming everybody you see out the window rather than looking in the mirror and accepting personal responsibility. We have taught young men how to use a condom in our schools rather than taught them the Ten Commandments and to have character. And we shouldn't be surprised when all of those chickens come home to roost. When you consume ideological carcinogens, you're going to get cancer of the heart, mind, and soul. And so what I was doing in daycare is saying, look, guys, look, guys, what we're teaching today is not going to stay on the college campus. The ideas that you teach in the classroom will always be practiced tomorrow in our culture. And in 2015, I said that, and I said this stuff won't stay at Berkeley and Brown. It's going to end up in Google, it's going to end up at Amazon, it's going to end up at Facebook, it's going to end up 
at Twitter. It's going to end up in the Major League Baseball decisions. It's going to end up in the corporate boardrooms across our nation, and they'll start trying to cancel everything because that's what they did when they were in college. You know what I find interesting? First of all, everything you just said about all of the different social media and other uh, areas of our culture being impacted and affected by this, or infected is a better word, by this. You're right. Um, what I find interesting is when you wrote the book, or excuse me, the uh, the actual uh, uh, letter to your students, that was in what, 2016? Uh, 2015. 2015. So we're talking six years ago. You said this is not a daycare, it's a university. At that time, I don't think we could say what I'm about to say right now. Is now it is a daycare because they are starting to indoctrinate these children and teach them, uh, you know, to, to, to hate one another and to not trust their country and quite frankly, to seek out safe spaces where they can be shielded from the truth. They are doing this in daycares. You know, there might be a little bit of an extreme there, but in elementary schools, you know, K through, through eight education, they are being indoctrinated just as, indoctrinated just as assuredly as they have been at, at universities. No question. The, this brainwashing, this dumbing down of the soul, the heart, mind, and soul of our nation's uh, progeny, those generations that follow us, has been going on, and it starts at the earliest ages. My land, we're bringing drag queens in to tell stories to our uh, daycare kids, our preschool kids, and our elementary kids. Are we surprised that they grow up to be confused? Are we surprised that they grow up to be self-centered? And they buy into this uh, identity politics. They've been taught it from day one. And the, the Daily News proves my point. Everything we're reading, everything you cover, everything you cover, Bob, from critical race theory to intersectionality to Black Lives Matter to safe spaces, microaggressions, trigger warnings, this constant drumbeat of blame. And even our response to COVID, the elevation of safety over freedom, our response to COVID, all of these things have the same emotional social and ideological core and it's this juvenile childish temper tantrum of me and mine take care of me i don't expect to have to take take care of myself this is a childish culture and the only solution in my view is to do what i talk about in my book grow up (laughs) recognize that life was never supposed to be safe your dad told you get back on the horse your coach told you no pain no gain How many times did you hear when you were growing up, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? All of these axioms have held true over the centuries because what? They're true. And we stopped teaching that stuff because that is a selfless perspective on life rather than this childish self-focus that's being perpetuated across the land. Well, indeed, the exact opposite is the case now. How many times do we hear in all of these, you know, in the cancel culture movement and in the critical race theory movement and in the critical training, race training movement and so on and so forth, words cause violence. Words are violent. In fact, what they now say, rather than sticks or stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, they say not only will words hurt me, legitimately hurt me and cause me harm, but not saying other words that I need to hear is going to cause me harm as well, Dr. Piper. That's the depth of and, and uh, you know the insanity, I think, that we, to which we have sunk. Uh, absolutely. We now live in a culture that is childish. Cancel culture is a childish culture. It's a perpetual temper tantrum of crying me and mine. It's a constant whine of, you hurt my feelings. Essentially, 
Cancel culture is a culture that says the facts be damned, the feelings, my feelings, not yours, my feelings are all that matter. And then they can actually spin this cancel culture into this lie, this Kool-Aid of saying, I can't tolerate your intolerance. I hate you hateful people. I'm sure that nothing is sure. I know that nothing can be known. And I'm absolutely confident there are no absolutes. All of this is Seth's self-referential worship, it's narcissism at its worst, and the only solution is to do what St. Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians. We need to speak the truth, with a capital T, in love and grow up. That's exactly what he told the Church of Ephesus. Dr. Edward Piper is my guest. He is the author of a best-selling book called Not a Daycare. He is now releasing in, what, uh, five days next week, um, uh, the sequel to that, the follow-up to that, which is Grow Up. Dr. Piper, last week or the prior Thursday, the previous Thursday, um, we talked about the subtitle. We talked about life isn't safe, but it's good. That's not just something you came up with. This is a reference to C.S. Lewis, and you told us what it meant then. Tell everybody who missed it then what that means now. All right. Uh, actually, the subtitle is probably more important than the title, and that's true for a lot of books. Mm-hmm. I think if, a, if an author chooses a good title, often you almost don't need to read the book. <laughs> just read the title because you get his point. I've said that about Richard Weaver's Ideas Have Consequences on your show. Uh, You don't need to read the book. (laughs) You just read the title and you get his point. Ideas always matter. They always lead somewhere. Well, I'm calling upon us to recognize that our culture is childish and selfish and that we need to grow up. And I use C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia description of the great lion Aslan, where the children are told when they are confused and don't know who Aslan is, they're told by the talking animals of Narnia. Mr. Beaver looks at the children and says, when they ask, when the children ask, well, is Aslan safe? Uh, they're, they're, they're afraid. They don't know what to expect of the, of the, excuse me, of the lion. And the beaver, Mr. Beaver, responds to the children and says, of course not. Of course not. Aslan is not safe, but he's good. It's the principle of first things that C.S. Lewis also talks about. The first thing that he's referencing here is goodness, God's goodness, God's revelation, the goodness of the Constitution, the goodness of freedom, the goodness of liberty, the goodness of Jesus Christ, that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The goodness of Scripture, the goodness of God is much more important than your selfish desires for safety. Life isn't supposed to be safe. It's supposed to be good. And if that isn't the lesson of our response to COVID. I don't know what is. How do you go about teaching that lesson, Dr. Piper? Because, you know, you, you, you summarize it very well, or Lewis summarized it very well in, in such a way. And as you say, maybe I don't need to read a several chapters if I can just get it from the subtitle. But you do go to great lengths talking about, in fact, there, there's, a, there's a collection of 20 lessons on why it's important for our country to act like adults, for example. So talk to me about that, about how we, how we expand that lesson to people through Grow Up. Well, you've you've given me a good segue to correct my blunder 
uh, my marketing blunder that I just committed because I just basically told everybody, don't go buy my book. Oh, I know. I was going to tell you on behalf of Regnery, I want to, I want you to disavow that. Read the book. By all means, read the book. Don't just look at the title. Regnery had to be just quaking when they heard you say that, but, but it's okay. I think everybody understood your point, but let's talk about seriously the content here that, that, that kind of, uh, gives us the details of of what you allude to in that summer or in that, uh, uh, subtitle. Very quickly, I'll say this. Um, uh, that's a good question, because everybody should ask me, well, you say grow up, uh, what are you supposed to do about it? How do we get there? Well, a couple examples of the lessons in the book. Number one, don't fall in the pool. That's lesson number one. Well, what do I mean by that? Stop the narcissism. Stop gazing at your own reflection. Stop, stop sitting at the river's edge thinking that you're more grand and glorious than Apollo and Bacchus and Zeus and even Jesus. Stop it, Don Lemon. You're not God. You can't pretend to redefine the teachings of the church just because you don't like them. So the solution is to grow up and recognize that you can't just claim that you're the center of the universe. That's not reality. That's a fantasy land. That's a clown show at best. That is make-believe. So stop gazing at your own reflection or you're going to slip and fall into the pool. So don't fall into the pool. That's one example of a lesson of how to grow up and become and start acting like an adult rather than a perpetual adolescent and a, and a, and a young child that's self-centered all the time. And that, yeah, that is the message here. The the overall overarching message is is to get out of perpetual adolescence, perpetual adolescence and grow up. Hence the title. And there are several ways to do that. You've just talked about one of them. Don't fall in the pool. I'm going to get a couple more of those from you after this time out as we continue with Dr. Everett Piper, <laughs> author of Grow Up. Life isn't safe, but it's good. Again. And the follow-up to Not a Daycare, which you should have read by now. Uh, terrific stuff, and we'll continue with Dr. Piper after this. When I die and the name of the rest, gonna go to the place that's the best. When I lay me down to die, going up to the spirit in the sky. Oh, oh. Okay, 1024, I've got about five and a half good minutes left with Dr. Everett Piper to talk about his new book, Grow Up. Dr. Piper, I've, um, you know, I've been talking about, every time I say grow up, I reference not a daycare because I want to capitalize on the extraordinary popularity of that and let everybody know this is the same author and this is kind of a sequel, a follow-up to not a daycare. And uh, with that, I want to read Dennis Prager's comment about your book. Uh, Dr. Piper's not a daycare, or, yeah, Dr. Piper's not a daycare diagnosed the root cause of our social ills, immaturity. More and more Americans just don't want adult responsibilities. Now with Grow Up, Piper prescribes the cure to the problems plaguing our country. Young Americans who want to lead happy and fulfilled lives should make it a national bestseller. So is that a fair summary that the, that the first book was intended to be a diagnosis of the problem and the follow-up is the cure? Is this how, or is that just how it turned out? Well, I didn't intend to write Grow Up when I first wrote Not a Daycare. And Not a Daycare is not only a diagnosis. It does include solutions also. But the way people perceived it was me being a college president, maybe the only college president at the time who had had it. I was fed up, and I basically called a a spade and said, my land 
if you want to be coddled rather than confronted, go someplace else. That's not what the ivory tower, that's not what the academy is all about. We're going to confront you. We're going to challenge you. We expect you to become a mature thinking adult. We're not going to coddle you in your selfish whining and complaining. So that's the way not a daycare was perceived. Now, obviously, I'm building on that argument right now and saying, okay, you all thought I was just whining about the problem myself. Well, here are 20 lessons as to what to do about it. So I retell the story of Donna Daycare. I retell the story of our cancel culture, and then I address the problem. And one of the chapters, for example, is, as I mentioned, don't fall in the pool. I address our self-absorption and our narcissism, and I basically make this point. If consuming ideological carcinogens gives you cancer of the mind and soul, then maybe if we start eating good, healthy intellectual food, Scripture, if we understand the Bible, if we understand the teachings of Jesus and the Apostle Jude and John and James and Peter, if we understand these age-old, time-tested truths, maybe we will become adults and function as a healthy culture rather than one that has this disease of heart, mind, and soul. So it's this idea of consuming the right ideas. Another chapter, for example, Bob, is you're not Webster. And this refers to the battle of the definition of words. You know, that chapter essentially says this. You don't get to redefine everything in your own image. There are definitions to words. There are definitions to formulas. Two plus two is not five. And even moreover, two plus two is not green. It doesn't equal a color. It equals an objective, verifiable, predictable number. Two plus two is four. It's not trope. It's not white privilege. It's not a product of intersectionality. All of that is just a selfish, childish claim because you don't like the objective facts of life. You're not Webster. You don't get to redefine everything in your own image. That is perfectly stated. And that's exactly, you know, I I hate to say it because some of this circles back to the other chapter. You mentioned narcissism. When you see yourself in everything and you see everything in you, uh, you know, that is kind of the definition of self-love. And this is what people do uh, far too often. You note, as I love when you talk to me on our, our weekly spots. You love to uh, quote scripture, and you do so here as well. The solution to grow up so that we may no longer be children carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Ephesians four thirteen to 15. That's, that, that's a great way to summarize all of this, isn't it, Doctor? Yes. Um, I think this is an analogy I've used on your show before, but repetition doesn't hurt. Not at all. There's a difference, there's a difference between tolerance and love. There's a huge difference between tolerance and love. So when Paul says, speak the truth in love and grow up, what is he referencing? What is St. Paul referencing? Well, truth is an objective fact. It's a reality outside of us. You must have a measuring rod outside of those things being measured, or you can do no measuring. Truth is not subject to the ebb and flow of your feelings. It just is. So the truth is the truth, and that's just the end of it. Now, what does Paul mean by love? Is it synonymous with sex? Absolutely not. That's not what he means. Is it enablement? No, it's the antithesis of enablement. Tolerance, modern-day tolerance, this attitude of enablement and affirmation, is not biblical love. Tolerance basically says, I don't like you, I don't love you, but I'll tolerate you. 
Whereas love says, I care deeply about you. I do love you enough to stand in your way and tell you to stop. As I've said before on your show, we don't send our spouses I tolerate you cards on Valentine's Day. And there's a reason for that. It would be an insult. So this elevation of tolerance over and above Christian charity, biblical love, is the reason for the disease. That is the consumption of an ideological carcinogen that has, bre- that has bred great disease in our culture's soul. That is so perfectly well stated. That's what we love about talking to you, and that's why we love reading you as well. So I'm going to tell everybody else as we wrap here, make sure that when you buy Grow Up uh, that you do so on Amazon. You were talking about this last week, Doctor, because of uh, the best-selling, uh, uh, you know, the way they list their bestsellers, of course, is buy uh, purchases on Amazon as well. So get the book wherever you can get it, but by all means, go to Amazon.com, look for Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good by Dr. Everett Piper. Give it a good read, and we'll We'll talk about it. I know you and I are going to talk about it again next week when I do the Larry Elder Show, but Dr. Piper, I really appreciate you coming on here and wetting our appetites for the release, which is uh, uh, April 13th, which is what, Tuesday next week? I'm trying to count the days here. I don't have it in front of me, but it is coming up, the official release on April 13th, and you can pre-order it now. Dr. Everett Piper, thank you so much, and best of luck with this phenomenal book. Thanks a bunch, Bob. Appreciate you, it. You got it. My pleasure. 1031. We're going to get news now. And on the other side of that, we're going to pivot. I told you we're heavy with guests today from Dr. Everett Piper to Mark Meckler. Mark Meckler is an activist. He's a former founder of the Tea Party. He is now uh, working in another realm, another avenue, if you will, serves as president of Citizens for Self-Governance and the Convention of States Action. He's going to talk to us about the extraordinary importance of banning any idea of vaccine passports. That's coming up on 1420 The Answer. The memories, and enjoy again. Have a question for Bob? A comment? A complaint? Hit up the authority message line. Call 216-525-1806 and make your voice heard. That's 216-525-1806. Call the authority message line. Yeah, make sure when you do, try to keep your commentary or your question to under 60 seconds. Otherwise, we won't be able to air them. And I do want to air as many of those great comments that we get off the air uh, as humanly possible so that we can respond to them. Sometimes we get some very, very good ones. Okay, uh, it's 1037 now. We're going to dive right into it. I told you we were jam-packed from Dr. Everett Piper now. I want to welcome our next guest, Mark Meckler. Mark Meckler <clears throat> excuse me, is the president of the Convention of the States Project. He is the co-founder and former national coordinator of the Tea Party Patriots as well well and he joins us this morning to talk about something we should all be concerned about in the next coming weeks and months and that's the idea of forced vaccination by way of vaccine passports in order to live your life and live freely mark good to have you back on the program here how are you good morning good to be with you i was just looking uh, during the break at uh, the news break at a uh, facebook post by wkyc uh, here in town and it says, in a post-pandemic world, these cards could be could eventually help fully vaccinated people more freely travel, shop, and dine. And it's got a picture of the vaccination card, which, of course, is akin to the vaccination passport. And I just, I can't help but commenting when I see these kinds of, kinds of things. What in the world do you mean more freely dine and shop and travel? We do not need special permission cards to do things freely, not in this free country. That's what's in, at stake here. That's what's in jeopardy, though, isn't it, Mark? I agree with you completely. In, a, in essence, what that person is saying is that 
We live in a totalitarian state where our movements are controlled by the government and, and the private sector according to having the appropriate papers. You know, I'm almost 60 years old. If you're old enough like me and you remember all the old war movies about World War II or even the East Bloc during the Cold War, may I see your papers <laughs> is a very common phrase, right? Yeah. And so this is what we're, we're coming to now is a trackable electronic database where they're tracking your health information and probably all the other information they have about you so that they know your whereabouts. China has this system already. It's called a social credit system. And I think we're headed towards that if we're not very careful. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the question is, is how are we very careful, Mark? What do we need to do to try to head this off? Now, I, I'm, I know that um, Dr. Fauci and other members of the uh, uh, Presidential Coronavirus Task Force have said that there are no plans for a uh, national vaccine passport to be, you know, to be mandated or required, which I guess is good news. But it does mean that states can impose their own vaccine passports or requirements to show me your papers. Um, and even if states agree not to do so, uh, from a public standpoint, again, unless there is legislation passed in each state that forbids private businesses, including you know, businesses that provide essential infrastructural services like travel, like buses, like planes, et cetera. Um, you know, that, that unless the private enterprises are, are, are banned from instituting their own mandates, uh, with respect to vaccine, this is something that we could be facing. So what do we do when we say if we're not careful? Yeah. Well, one of the things is when the federal government, when it, whether it's Fauci or Biden or Jen Stocky say, don't worry because we don't intend a federal database or federal tracking. Don't believe them because the way that the left imposes totalitarianism is always incremental. And so as this data is collected, as it becomes part potentially of smaller databases, you have to understand that ultimately that will become part of a larger federal database. It's the same thing that they're doing. They like guns registered and ultimately they want a national gun registry. They've said it. They want it ultimately, but they never do it in one big step. So Number one, don't trust them. Number two, at the state level, demand that your governors, especially if you live in a state with a Republican governor, your governor should issue an executive order immediately. We've seen this done in Florida, saying that we're not going to allow vaccine passports. And we should make a distinction, important distinction, between what Florida Governor DeSantis did and what Governor Abbott here in my home state of Texas did. The Florida governor said no vaccine passports, period, not in the public sector and not by private business here in, in uh, Texas, our governor, who's kind of spineless, said the government won't enforce this, but the private sector can do whatever they want, and we have to push back against that at the state level. See, now, I did not realize that when you say that it was kind of spineless in Texas. I thought Abbott was essentially saying it was going to be banned from public and private entities. I know here in Ohio, Governor Mike DeWine, I just talked to the lieutenant governor about an hour ago, and uh, I got him to acknowledge that the um, uh, that there, they, there he cannot see any possible way that there would be a vaccine passport required publicly, in other words, by the government. Uh, and he said that Mike DeWine has stated so in the past. And all Mike DeWine said is what you just pointed out. He said that we have no plans. Seven days ago, he said we have no plans for a vaccine passport. But when I asked the lieutenant governor about the private part, his response was, well, if you are a believer in small government, appealing to the conservative nature in all of us, if you are a believer in small government, you don't want governments telling businesses what they can and cannot do, right? And that's going to be their argument. They're going to say, how can the government not tell a business that is fearful of uh, people coming in ridden with disease and virus that you can't come in unless you show us proof of your vaccination? 
Yeah, and what you're going to notice is that the governors that are the overt fighters for freedom, for our individual rights, will stand against this, even in regard to the private sector. And those that tend to be kind of squishy, middle of the road, are going to pretend to be freedom-loving conservatives who are protecting our rights by allowing those rights to be taken away by private businesses. We have a problem here, which is essentially these private businesses are acting in a state actor capacity. In other words, when enough of them can get together and limit your freedoms, limit your ability to, say, uh, go to a stadium, limit your ability to go to a concert, limit your ability to shop for groceries, now essentially they're affecting your very most basic freedoms, the ability to travel freely, to shop freely, to go to social events freely. Mm -hmm. They're essentially conspiring to act as the state, even though they're not the state, and the state needs to intervene to protect our liberties. That that is exactly right, and and you know the question is is how can that be done? Uh, we talked about solutions, finding solutions. Uh, if we're not careful, um, the, the the legislatures are going to be the key, right? Uh, you know, a governor can say we don't support any sort of a ban or, or excuse me, any sort of a mandate, any sort of a pa- uh, vaccine passport, but it's going to have to be it's going to have to be brought into law, right? The legislature here in Ohio or yours down in Texas is going to have to write a law saying no business can discriminate. In the same way, we have anti-discrimination laws based on um, you know, sex or race or or uh uh religion, etc. They're going to have to say businesses cannot discriminate on in terms of hiring or in terms of providing services and products, commerce to the general public or patrons based on their their medical status. I mean, hell, how do they even get to ask what my medical status is with HIPAA laws being what they are? Exactly. They shouldn't be entitled to do that. So I think this is a two-step process. First is the governors, generally speaking, in most of the states right now, including your state, have unique executive authority in regard to the pandemic. They have what are called general police powers. This is not held by the federal government, which is why the federal government really can't do this. But at the state level, your governor can say because of the pandemic, quote-unquote, because of the emergency, We have a state of emergency around a health issue, and they can issue an executive order banning this stuff. It ultimately can and should go to the legislatures as well. Your state has a year-round legislature. That makes it easier to continue to act and to get them to act on this. Some states are out of session already for the year, so it's really only the governors. And then ultimately, it's up to us to hold them electorally accountable. Anybody that doesn't support, in my opinion, the banning of vaccine passports, whatever they call them, any Republican, anybody who claims to be a conservative and doesn't support that, in my opinion, they need to be removed from office by their constituents. Um, I want to ask you from a constitutional standpoint, to, to the best of your knowledge, and I don't know if you're a constitutional scholar or, or not, but I saw something on Twitter yesterday with respect to vaccine passports, Mark Meckler, and if you're just tuning in, uh, we are talking to Mark Meckler uh, about uh, vaccine passports. Um the quote on Twitter read this way. The Supreme Court ruled 7-2 to two in the 1905 case, Jacobson versus Massachusetts, that compulsory vaccination laws are constitutional, end quote. Um, I'm not a constitutional scholar. Do you know if that's accurate, or do you know if there's context that has been added to it in the, in the century plus since that time? Yeah, I'm not specifically familiar with that case, but I can tell you, In state law, the states have very broad police powers historically in terms of pandemics uh, and outbreaks of disease. Uh, This is something that has a long history. It actually goes back before the United States, that the government's always been involved in in the prevention of severe disease outbreaks. 
So at the state level, I, while I don't like this, there is very wide latitude. I don't know about compulsory vaccination. I'd have to look into that case. But there is generally a long history of support for wide latitude. That's why the states were able to do these incredible, terrible, in my opinion, lockdowns that they did and destroying economies because they have this broad police power. So it's very plausible. And what you're saying makes sense to me, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it is unfortunate. And I guess that's the... Uh, the the bridge that we're going to have to find a way to cross. It's going to be very narrow and very diff- very difficult to get our legislatures to do something that those who wish to impose their beliefs on all of us and more importantly their will on us, uh, they're going to use that that constitutional case precedent. Uh, Mark Meckler is the president of the Convention of the States Project and the co-founder and former national coordinator of the Tea Party Patriots. Um, what would a convention of the states, if we were able to to bring that about to to you know, actually amend the U.S. Constitution, and you've been working on this for a very long time. Um, what would a convention of the states have to say about this? I think the the beauty of the convention of states and the way that we've put it together is the goal is to remove power from the federal government and give it back to the states. So in a way, it would, it would have an effect at the federal level. It would prevent the federal government from acting to limit our rights. That's the point of the, the entire convention, power away from the feds, back to the people in the states. It wouldn't change the dynamic between the states and their people. And so that's but that's where I want the power, because you and I have a lot of power in our states, in our state legislatures, mostly unexercised. Most people don't get involved. But when we have the power, we can meet with our state legislators in a way that we can't do at the federal level. It's easier to move state legislators from office through elections than it is at the federal level. So mainly what we're trying to do is shift the balance of power from the federal government to the state. The the problem with that though, obviously, is is interstate travel, interstate business. Um, you know, if if, if uh, you know my state doesn't have this passport, but any state that I do businesses does, I can't go to their state. They won't let me in, or they're going to quarantine me, or whatever, until I show proof of the vaccine. That's that's not going to help us, is it? Well, it's, it's going to help us in the sense that, and I think this is important to remember, that we, we in our system of federalism believe in a laboratory of democracy approach. We have 50 states. States do things in different ways. And if state, what's going to happen is if states limit the travel to their own state, they're going to punish their own state more than they're going to punish us. A great example of this right now is if you look at what's going on in New York, New York is a dying state, literally. There's massive amounts of people fleeing from the state, partially because the lockdown has been so draconian. A lot of those folks have gone to Florida, which is wide open, partially because of their tax code, which punishes people who achieve. They're now talking about raising taxes, but their economy is in an absolute nosedive. Their unemployment is through the root. Businesses are fleeing. And so what happens when we have this kind of laboratory of democracy is people vote with their feet. So what I worry about is that we federalize these policies and then you lack the ability to vote with your feet. I think it's great. Let New York, if New York wants to kill itself, let New York kill itself. Ultimately, that's the only way to get real reform in states like that. Yeah. Um, is the convention uh, ac- uh, actively putting pressure on state legislatures to, uh, you know, to do the right thing here? Again, you're right. It can't be done federally. It shouldn't be done federally. It is going to have to be done at this level. But is there anybody from convention of the states or any contacts that you have, for example, with the Ohio General Assembly and trying to get them to pass something that says we cannot mandate and cannot discriminate against people based on their own medical choices? Yeah, I mean, this is a relatively new issue. Our our activists are active in the state legislatures all over the country, including there in Ohio. 
and they are weighing in on this issue and all sorts of other issues, election integrity and things like that. So if folks want to get involved there in Ohio at Convention of States, we're still we're moving forward with the Convention of States resolution. Uh, Senate President Matt Huffman has been our biggest champion over the years. But our folks are also involved in the fight around vaccine passports and election integrity. And people can get involved, by the way, at conventionofstates.com. I was just about to ask you, how can people learn more about this and get involved? So conventionofstates.com. Terrific. Well, listen, Mark Meckler, I really appreciate all of the great work you do. You are a champion for liberty. You're a champion of patriotism. And uh, I appreciate you bringing the message here to us from Texas here in Ohio. We, uh, we've got a lot of work to do, and I certainly feel better about doing it together. And thank you so much. Thanks. God bless. Appreciate you very much. Thank you, Mark. Mark Meckler, uh, again, he is the uh, president of the Convention of States Project and the co-founder of the Tea Party Patriots, which he is no longer a part of, so that he can focus on uh, the Convention of the States. 1051, get a time out here, come back and finish it up with uh, more of your phone calls. If you were on the line before and didn't get through, dial now. We'll put you up on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1055. Let's get a call or two in here before the top of the hour. We'll go to Jeff, who's in Parma Heights on uh, AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Jeff. Go ahead. Hey, good morning, Bob. I just, uh, you know, Biden wants to uh, sign these executive orders on gun control to toughen them up a little bit. And maybe he ought to think about setting an example on his son, Hunter, who lied on, on his uh, federal background check, you know, which is a federal offense, you know. Maybe Nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about that on the no. national television networks, do they? That is exactly right. No. Well, his son also, no, you know, don't. I mean, his son also broke laws when he decided to become a crack addict. He also uh, broke moral laws, as far as I'm concerned, when he decided to start bedding the widow of his dead brother. Uh, you know, I mean, and not to mention, of course, uh, the laptop and all of the Chinese and Ukrainian deals as well. The laws don't apply to Bidens. You know that by now, right? They just don't count. Yeah, we all know that, but you know, maybe they should start counting. That's yeah, well, the only way definitely. things are going to get fixed, you know, in this country. Yeah, accountability. Yeah, well. Yeah, when you, you know, it, it, there's a difference though, and you know, we saw this with Hillary Clinton too. Um the law doesn't apply equally to the haves and the have-nots. If you are a connected member, or rather a member of, the, of a connected class or a connected group, you are part of the political elite. You can pretty much flout the law all you want. It's the peons like you and me who suffer. So, yeah, gun laws, they, they want to a- activate a new gun law or a gun order by uh, executive order by Joe Biden. Of course it's going to apply to you. It's going to apply to your neighbor, but it's never going to apply to his own kid. Yeah, you're right, Bob. Well... But but I'm glad you brought it up. Americans are, I'm glad you I don't brought think it up. Many Americans Jeff. are going to abide by his gun laws, though. No, yeah, and, well, you're right. And here's the thing. Thank you, Jeff, for the phone call. This is the the most frustrating thing about it all is that Americans abide by gun laws if they're what? If they're law abiding. I mean, this this is just this is just plain old English, right? Just just look at the language. Law-abiding Americans won't obtain firearms illegally because they're law-abiding Americans. They abide by laws. They're not the danger here. 
criminal Americans will obtain guns illegally because they don't mind committing crimes. Committing crimes makes one a criminal. So they don't mind getting their gun illegally, and they're the ones who then what? Use them illegally to commit gun violence. So let's take a look at Joe Biden's orders, the ones that are going through, the ones he's announcing today. Which group of people are those gun new gun orders going to impact? The criminals who don't mind committing crimes and then committing by getting guns and then committing crimes by using guns to commit violence? Or the law abiding class who says, ah, doggone it. President just ordered this new thing, this new uh, restriction on this, that, or the other thing, whether it be capacity magazines, whether it be quote-unquote assault rifles, or, or whatever the case might be. Um, law-abiding people are going to be the only ones who are hurt by it because they won't obtain these things. So all Joe Biden is doing by, by this recent gun grab that we started our show with this morning, actually at 9 o'clock, all Joe Biden is accomplishing here is making... Americans who are law-abiding Americans less safe. Now, you, you do two things here. You combine these two things. Combine the fact that Joe Biden wants fewer law-abiding Americans to have firearms to protect themselves. With number two, there are fewer and fewer police in America's largest cities. Because they are being attacked, they are being prosecuted, they are being killed, they're walking away, they're retiring early. They're being defunded, so they're gone. So we have fewer police to protect us, which leaves leaves it up to ourselves to protect us. Now Joe Biden wants to take away the means of that protection in terms of our firearms. Ponder that for a moment. Tomorrow on the program, Senate candidate Jane Timken. You're not going to want to miss that. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.